Welcome to Christ the King. Please be seated. <clears throat> I'm so glad that you've joined us uh, during Advent, this season where we are both awaiting Christ's return and also anticipating the celebration of his first coming at Christmas. It's a time when we don't necessarily know the when of when Jesus is returning, but we know the promise of the what, that he will return, that just as the word became flesh in Jesus, he will come again to establish his kingdom. Now, Advent is also a time when we sing a lot of the classics, perhaps some of your favorites. I can tell you that one of my favorites was what we opened with this morning, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. <clears throat> Our uh, children's pageant at 9 a.m., you can imagine, also included a number of very cute, short and sweet favorites. Now, the original Christmas classic, I would suggest, is actually from our reading in Luke. It's Mary's song. You might know it as the Magnificat in Latin, which means uh, to glorify. There's actually five songs in Luke 1 and 2. We have the song of Mary, and we have Zechariah's song, the song of the angels, the song of Simeon, and finally, the praise of Anna in the temple. Sandwiched between the song of a young woman and a very old woman, we have these words which point to the incarnation, that of God taking on flesh and becoming man. These are songs that the church has sung for ages, perhaps in your tradition as in the Anglican tradition uh, here at Christ the King, you might be familiar with the Magnificat as one that we sing or say quite regularly, oftentimes after Old Testament readings in a service of, of morning prayer or evensong. But let's take a look at Mary's song specifically this morning. You can find some notes in your service leaflet on the inside of the back page. I want to take a look at, briefly, why does Mary sing? What does Mary sing? And then think about our singing. In what ways do we participate in the song of Mary? But first, a little bit of context. You can, again, flip to the reading from Luke 1 in your service leaflet, which is on page 4. So in our story, we find that Mary has been visited by the angel Gabriel, who has told her that she is pregnant, a seeming impossibility for a virgin pregnant, a miracle and a mystery. And Mary arose in haste and went to the hill country, perhaps to avoid the gossip of scandal, perhaps to seek wisdom from her older cousin Elizabeth, both Elizabeth and Mary were likely the talk of the town. Elizabeth had been barren, and her miraculous pregnancy likely resulted in a little bit of talk about her healed womb. Even so, as Mary sought refuge at Elizabeth's, she was likely the talk of the town for another reason. Now, I would caution people, perhaps especially men, there are a lot of things which can and have been said during women's pregnancies, most of which are best left unsaid. It might have been God's grace that Zechariah had his tongue held for him for a number of months. But when Mary shows up, Elizabeth has license to speak. You know why? Because it's the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want you thinking, heading out of here, well, I just need to claim that my words are from the Holy Spirit and I'll be good to go. Don't try that. 
Elizabeth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, says to Mary, blessed is your child who is the Lord. And blessed are you for you believed in the promise, the promise that he is coming. And I love it. Her baby kicks as if to say, God's coming, let me out of here. Because that baby will be John the Baptist and his message will be just that, God's coming. We have these two women who are in very different circumstances and yet find themselves united. I wanna read to you briefly uh, an excerpt from a poem called The Visitation by poet and priest Malcolm Geith. Two women on the very edge of things, unnoticed and unknown to men of power, but in their flesh the hidden spirit sings, and in their lives the buds of blessing flower. And Mary stands with all we call too young, Elizabeth with all called past their prime. They sing today for all the great unsung, women who turned eternity to time. They sing today, and Mary, indeed, sung. That was Mary's response to all of this. Actually, if you were to flip back in our Luke reading to the verse before where our reading starts, so to verse 38, you would likely know these words which Mary responded after hearing from the angel. She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, thy will be done. And then she responds with the song that we find in verses 46 through 55. Now, why do we sing? Why do we sing songs personally in our culture? I think we do so to express feelings. Sometimes we do it to express something that is true that we don't really feel. Sometimes it's just to tell a story. It might be to lament, it might be to praise. Madeline Lengel writes of the incarnation, I do not understand the incarnation, I rejoice in it. I suppose that might have been what Mary was feeling. So why does Mary sing? Three things which I think will be helpful here. She sings because of joy. Look at our passage. My spirit rejoices. This is her, her gut reaction. Her immediate reaction is a song praising God. Praising God because he is and will be her savior. Secondly, she sings because of thanksgiving. Look at verses 48 and 49. She's giving thanks to God for his careful attention both to her but also to her family in ages past and ages in the future, from generation to generation. And third, if you see in verses 50 through 55, which is a, a long recounting of what God has done, she does this, she sings for remembrance, this word in verse 54, remembrance. She is retelling an old story. It's the story told by God's people, by God's prophets throughout the ages. And it's told in this song in the past tense, as in what God has done. But in our place in the story, we know that Mary is singing it out of hope for the present and the future, declaring and proclaiming that God has done this in the past and God is doing and will do it in the future. Now, some of you are probably well aware that 
Pop superstar Taylor Swift recently released an album. Just a quick show of hands. Yeah, a couple of you, okay, I know. And the rest of you are probably aware and you don't want to raise your hands, it's okay. I assure you that in the Glade household this morning there are a lot of hands going up. Well, Taylor Swift released an album recently. It broke all sorts of records, uh, one of which is the longest non-Led Zeppelin song ever. Talking about the 10 minute plus version of the song called All Too Well. Some of you are familiar with that. Here's the thing about Taylor Swift's album. It is a new album, but these are old songs. Surprise. They are songs that she had sung before and kind of kept, but now they're being sung in a new way and released, yes, for the world to hear and for the world to purchase and repurchase. She is a genius businesswoman. Here's the thing, and I bet you probably didn't think you were going to hear this at church. I want to draw a comparison between Taylor Swift and Mary. And here's why. Mary sings an old song in a new way. She is singing the old song of God's people. The old song about God's salvation. If you look at the words of her song and then you were to flip to Samuel and look at the song sung by Hannah when she received a child from God, you'd find this is an old song. If you look at Mary's song and you flip to the pages of the prophets, to the words of Isaiah, you'll find this is an old song. If you looked at the songs that the exiles sing in Babylon, you would find that Mary's song is an old song, sung in a new way, not for the profit of a hundred million albums sold, but for the good of God's people. So why does Mary sing? Joy, thanksgiving, and to remember. Now what does Mary sing? When British control of India was coming to a close, uh, Archbishop William Temple famously said this about the Magnificat. It is a most revolutionary canticle. And there was concern that because the Magnificat, this song, was recited as part of regular worship services, in these churches throughout India, there was concern that this had such a revolutionary message that it was going to inspire riots, massive uprisings, total chaos. Now, why is that? It's because in the words of Mary's song, we see that it is especially good news for the poor and the oppressed. It talks about judgment of the proud and rich who owe their position to injustice. Now, Mary, as she sings, it's important to keep in mind, especially looking at verses 50 through 55, why she's singing. She's singing out of joy, yes. She's singing out of thanksgiving, yes. But she's singing to remember and to remember who God is. So what does she sing? She sings words of lament, words of praise, and words of promise. Words of lament that things are not right. As you look at verse 50 through 55 and these promises of what God will do for the humble and the hungry, you likely have one of these reactions. God, where are you and what are you doing? We don't see this happening now. We lament. We lament that things are not as we believe God wants them to be. You may also, as you look at this, think, 
Well, God, when are you going to do these? A lament is a call for God to act in the future. So these are words of lament. They're also words of praise, because remember, this isn't just a complaint of, God, you did these things in the past, where are you now? There's an emphasis on, God, you did these things in the past. We can trust in your loving and merciful and justice-filled character. So these are words of praise because God can make things right. And finally, they are words of promise because the promise given to Mary by the angel, the promise reflected in the song that she sings, is the promise that Jesus will make all things right. That the old song about God's salvation is actually the Christian hope that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will make things right. That the world turns upside down will be turned right side up by God's justice and his mercy and love. That though in our experience now it may seem like the world is tilted towards the powerful and the rich, the sinner, those who are turned from God, we actually believe that God will make things right. A most revolutionary canticle. So we had our Christmas pageant at 9 a.m. And I think oftentimes when we picture Mary, we picture her as the innocent teenager and her song as if it were a lullaby. Now, I'm not sure who of you have young children like I, but I can tell you that my lullabies sound nothing like what Mary sings. These are fighting words. These are words of revolution because they're words declaring that there is a new coming king, a king that's greater than all earthly powers. Mary is way less little house on the prairie and way more Wonder Woman. She is declaring confidently that God is going to work powerfully. She's going, he's going to work powerfully for the humble, for the hungry, for those who seek God's mercy and justice. She's proclaiming that when the Messiah comes, he will bring that. He will bring real freedom, real renewal. This isn't just a protest song or a picketing for God's attention or a demand for equality and equity and fairness. This is a declaration that there is a God who can actually bring those things. And he declares that it will be so in his word. Mary's song is an old song but it's sung in a new way to help us to imagine God's reality. I want to close by considering together three questions that have to do with the ways that we participate in Mary's song. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of holiday parties that you've probably been to and are attending. And in the Schwanda family, the tradition on my mom's side was that on Christmas Eve, we gathered with usually about 50 of us uh, at my aunt and uncle's house and it was equal parts it was equal parts church karaoke bar sing-along family reunion you're probably picturing about the right mix my mom hammering out the christmas hits on the out of tune piano my uncle john assigning various parts to people at will all of us attempting to follow along on our little songbooks which spanned about 30 years and none of whose words actually lined up. Throw in some of the usual Christmas festivities, you're picturing the right thing. Here's three things that I learned from our Christmas karaoke sing-alongs, which will be reflected in 
these three questions I want us to consider. First, if you're asked to do any public singing like that, sing the words that you've been given. Sing the words on the page. Don't try to do this and make eye contact. Who's been in a place where you're giving karaoke? Don't turn away from that little screen with the, with the words that are highlighted for you. Sing the words you've been given. They're good words. They're trustworthy. Secondly, don't sing alone. Sing with a friend. Because even if you stop looking at the words, somebody else singing the words next to you will help remind you. And thirdly, sing something that is hopeful and upbeat. Do not be the person like my friend Sam, who his go-to for karaoke was November Rain by Guns N' Roses. Do not attempt Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Do not pick something in a minor key, especially if you are a minor amateur singer. Here's our three questions. What is your response to God's call? How do you trust in tough times? And what song will you sing? First, what's your response to God's call? Mary had considered this question, and her response was, here I am, Lord, I'm yours. If you have never considered that God is actually calling out to you in love, consider that. If you have felt God's love in some small way, or even in some big way like Mary, consider responding to God with that simple prayer. Here I am, Lord, I'm yours. Let it be to me according to your word. Thy will be done. See, God's word is for our good. And that's why we can say with Mary, let it be to me according to your word. Because we know when the mystery of God's love breaks into our lives, we can trust that it's for good. And we can trust that the words that he's given us are for our good. So sing the words that you've been given. Second, remember that Mary was in a tough situation. There are a lot of things going on, but at the very least for a young, unwed woman at that time, the situation she was in presented a lot of challenges. Oftentimes, we don't feel like singing. We're going through something hard ourselves. We don't want to sing songs because we have a heavy heart. So how do we trust God in tough times? Two things were helpful to Mary. First, she remembered those words that she had been given. She remembered the words of Hannah. She remembered the words of the prophets. She remembered the words that the angel gave to her. And she trusted that they were true, even if she might not have felt it. And secondly, she didn't sing alone. She was with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who was also waiting on a promise. Elizabeth, who was also facing challenges and joys. Elizabeth, who was facing the hopes and fears of all the years, as we sing in our song. And they encourage each other. They remind each other that the prophet's promises would become real. And it's because the promises, the promises given to Elizabeth, the promises given to Mary, the promises given to us, they're not just wishes. They're hope. They're hope because hope is trusting in something that something will be fulfilled. Fulfilled according to the promises and not just according to our wishes. So we can trust in hard times because we're trusting something in something that doesn't depend on our own feelings. God wants to become real to you like he did to Elizabeth, like he did to Mary. So real, like the kicking of a baby in a womb. Has anyone ever felt that? 
it's incredible. It, it, the first time I felt my daughter Molly give that kick, it was like, whoa, this is happening. This baby is coming. I imagine there was some of that excitement for Elizabeth and Mary. This is happening. Soul and body, God wants to come to you, to take up residence in your life. He wants your heart to be his home. So how do you trust in tough times? Let a friend remind you of the words you've been given and don't sing along. Otherwise, you will be like me when it comes time to sing the 12 days of Christmas and my uncle invariably points to me on day seven or day eight. And I can't remember if the swans are singing, laying, milking. What are they doing? You put me on the spot. And my cousin Jamie next to me, he never sings. You don't want to be in that situation. Sing with a friend when times are tough. Lastly, what song do we sing? In the exile, God's people sang songs that reminded themselves that God had purposes to reorder the world, purposes to bring wholeness and health to the blind, the poor, the needy, to the nation so fearful, to the entire creation. Theologian Walter Brueggemann writes, they were asserting God's future against our present tense. God's future against our present tense. Sing something hopeful and upbeat, not because trite lyrics that are bubblegum pop are going to encourage us, because when we sing something full of the hope of the good news of Jesus, it reminds us that God does not want to leave the world as it is. He doesn't want to leave you as you are. He has something better in mind. Sing the new song that declares the power of the gospel that will not leave us or the world as it is. That good news, that good, hopeful song, it will be good news for the poor, our scripture tells us, good news for the oppressed. It will be good news for anyone who needs to hear the new song of God's love. That might be you this morning. You need to hear the new song of God's love. You may need to hear the new song of God's justice. You may need to hear the new song of God's mercy and forgiveness towards you. God wants you to hear his new song and he wants you to sing it with him. Because when you sing God's new song, declaring these things to be true, declaring that there is a world that can be made right by God, others join in. You don't sing along. The church sings along. Scripture even tells us that creation will sing along. And heaven and nature sing. Join in the song because it will encourage your heart and it will encourage someone else. See, Mary and Elizabeth helped each other wait. They were a little community, the two of them, formed around a promise. They affirmed that God was up to something. They affirmed that something was happening. This is what we do when we celebrate the Eucharist. We are a community formed around a promise affirming that God is up to something and it is happening. Yes, we are waiting, but while we are waiting, we declare that the Lord has already come. In fact, that will be one of our uh, communion hymns, I believe, is while we are waiting, 
come. And so as we turn towards communion, I would encourage you to consider the promise that we gather around when we gather around the table and to consider the song that God has given us to sing. Not alone, not in a minor key, and not without words to sing. Amen.